Good morning. Welcome to Liminal Church. Uh, welcome to those of you who are here, to those of you who are online. Welcome to the last Sunday of the month, which is, as you know, our contemplative service, which is a time to slow down and to marinate in the things of God. There's a recent survey. Um, you know what? I'm sorry. Time out. I'd like to take this moment to release the kids because Kelsey, Kelsey just seconds ago reminded me to do that and I told her I would forget and behold, I have done. So, uh, Blend goes up there, uh, sixth grade and above and anyone under, the, under sixth grade will go to the back with Miss Denise and out they go. I am nothing if not predictable. There was a recent survey done by the Barna Research Group asking a number of Christians why they go to church. Two main responses surfaced. To have a personal, God, a personal experience of God's presence and to gain a better understanding of how to live the Christian life. However, fewer than a third of the sampled group felt that they actually connected with God during the service. Eventually, they ceased to expect a regular encounter with God, and they simply settled for a pleasant morning. Part of the idea behind this contemplative service is to slow things down so that you actually have time to connect with God and to experience His presence among us. And our hope is that you will do that this morning. Today, we're going to take a look at prayer. And by prayer, I want to expand it beyond what's become synonymous with prayer, which is setting forth all the things that I think God should do for me. Amen. Thomas Merton explains prayer in a way that's a bit deeper. Prayer is an expression of who we are. We are a living incompleteness. We are a gap, an emptiness that calls for fulfillment. Prayer in the vernacular is hanging out with Jesus in that nearness, getting to know him, and becoming best of friends. Prayer is relationship. To begin with, I'd like us to consider for a moment the words of Psalm 131, 1-2. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. My soul is like a weaned child that is with me. What stands out to you in these verses? Does the picture that I've chosen illustrate your experience with prayer? Take a moment to think about that.
One of the shifts I'm making along my own journey with prayer is embracing both the pursuit of a prayer life and that is carving out moments for God in my busy schedule of spending exclusive time with God every day or most days and the pursuit of a prayerful life of acknowledging God's presence in every moment making every moment a prayer not out of a sense of guilt or obligation God does not desire me to feel obligated to pray or to spend time with him who would want such a relationship rather God wants us to respond in love to the love given to us by God Emmanuel God with us wants us to be with Emmanuel Now we must remember that we can no more approach God than an infant can approach its mother. When the baby sees its mother several feet away, it tries to reach her by extending or stretching out its tiny little arms. But it is the mother who goes the distance and makes the connection and bridges the gap. In the same way, all I need to do in order to reach God is to reach for God. to turn toward God to look for God in and around me we trust that God is present to us anytime that we stretch out our feeble little spiritual arms to him this morning i want to read a story it's in four parts and give you space within the story to consider prayer maybe with new eyes This story comes from a book called The Armchair Mystic by Mark Thibodeau. And if you feel comfortable doing so, close your eyes as I read and try to picture what's going on, what's being described, and even place yourself within the story as an observer or a participant. Okay, again, this is from The Armchair Mystic. I was 4 years old when Aunt Sally first came to visit. She was the kind of woman that a kid imagines has always been old. Her whole face seemed to have slipped down a little, a downward smear like my chalk picture on the wall of a barn after a light summer rain. But her eyes were strangely bright and curious, much like a child's. But I was just a kid then. and i could not stand still to save my soul so mama always let me go after a few minutes of politeness say hello to aunt sally my mom commanded me hello aunt sally i begrudgingly responded not looking at her for fear of her face falling off tell aunt sally how old you are say you're 4 years old said mama i'm 4 years old i said then can i go play now mama Sing Aunt Sally, I'm a little teapot. Then you can go out and play. Reluctantly I sang, I'm a little teapot, short and stout, going faster and faster till I finished in a garble of words and notes and even before I finished tipping over and pouring out, I was heading back the, out the back door to freedom. Okay, let's pause there a moment. How do you image God? 
How does God seem to you? How do you approach prayer? Sporadically? Reluctantly? Enthusiastically? Hesitantly? Let's pause for a few minutes and consider those things.
The next time Aunt Sally came to visit, I was a few years older and had come to discover that I was the center of the universe and all of creation revolved around me. I assumed everyone was as fascinated with every detail of my life as I was. So when Aunt Sally placed me on her lap and asked me to tell her about the picture I'd been drawing when she arrived, it was like a spark plug that sent my motor mouth running. I showed her the picture of me with hatchet in hand and explained that I was a great lumberjack and would chop down hundreds of trees in a day. Only the bad ones, of course. She asked me questions about the picture. Were there monsters lurking behind the trees? Did the monsters scare me? I told her sometimes at night I would see its eyes staring at me, and that was scary. Sometimes I even had to run to Mama and Daddy's room for the night. But not in the daytime. In the daytime, I would chase the mean old monsters away. Throughout the story, Aunt Sally listened with great attention and clicked her tongue and nodded her head in all the right places. A few times, she tried to interject her own experiences of forests, about bluebonnets and the family of rabbits. But I was too wrapped up in my own story to hear about flowers. They were monsters to master. So I never let her tell a single story, but interrupted her. She was never angry or disappointed. She would simply grow quiet and let me take over the conversation. Aunt Sally made me feel as though I was the only person in the world who mattered to her, and nothing I said, felt, or did was unimportant. Let's take a couple minutes to consider the following questions. How do you speak to God? And how do you imagine that God responds to your thoughts, words, feelings, or actions?
By the time I was 13, Aunt Sally had grown too old to live on her own and had moved in with us. I didn't know how I'd feel about living with an old lady, but before long, we had become the best of friends. At first, she let me do all the talking, as I had on her last few visits, but by the time I was old enough to realize that this old lady had a few stories of her own. I remember one day her telling how anxious I remember one day telling her how anxious I was to be old enough to drive. As I was telling her about my go-kart and how I drove it through the fields behind her house, she quietly mentioned that it reminded her of her days when she and her brother would hunt on horseback in the pine woods of East Texas. I continued my story, but her hook had sunk deep. Before long, I found myself begging her to tell me more about those Texas hunts. I sat enraptured by her tales because, for me, time stood still. This day marked a turning point as I regularly began to listen to Aunt Sally tell me about her life. She told many stories. The day her brother ran off with the neighbor and got himself married. The day her father left for World War I and the day he came back with one less leg. The day her husband left for World War II, and the day she found out he would never come back. She told happy stories, too. The night she got to lay baby Jesus in the crib at midnight mass, and what it felt like to have the whole world watching her as she held God in her hands and rocked him to sleep. Of the village corn-shucking days and the dances that followed, of her first kiss from Bobby Ryan Wilson. She asked me questions about my life too, but now I answered them as quickly as possible so we could go back to the times and places that I would only come to know through the tales of Aunt Sally. Let's consider the following questions. What would it be like for you to sit and listen to God? What stories might God tell you? If God were to speak to you today, what do you imagine he might say to you?
time passed and Aunt Sally grew older and frailer. The end of her life came slowly after a prolonged stay in the hospital. It was my senior year in high school and while my friends were chasing girls in dreams of college, I was sitting by my Aunt Sally's bedside. There were days when she was full of energy and would regale me with the more stories from her past. But there were other days when her ever-curious eyes didn't dance so vibrantly. Those days turned into months, and we spoke much less. Hours would go by in almost complete silence. Looking back on my life with Aunt Sally, it is the memory of those silent days that I now hold dear. I can't say how or why, but somehow those were the days when we were closest to one another, as though we had come to realize that the words we spoke simply crowded the room. They were like unwanted guests. The silence, on the other hand, pulled us closer together, like a sacred cord binding us in ways beyond our control or our understanding. Even now, I'm frustrated with the indescribable nature of it. But that's the point, isn't it? That is why, in the end, words were more of a hindrance than a help. These holy moments are beyond explanation, and that's what makes them so special. Let's consider together the following questions. What surfaced in you as I read the story? When it comes to prayer, what do you long for?
There are times in our lives when we approach God in any of the four ways found in the story of Aunt Sally. Talking at God, talking to God, listening to God, and being with God. None of these are wrong, and none of these are more holy than the other. The point is, we are at any of these times pointed towards God, which is exactly where we're designed to be. There is, however, an intimacy in the last expression of the young man's relationship with Aunt Sally. It is the moment when being in one another's presence is more important than any particular activity we might do with that person. What we do with our beloved is relevant as long as we are with our beloved. In the same way, there may become a day or a time in our prayer lives when the activity of prayer becomes much less relevant than merely consciously and purposely resting in God's presence. A wise priest once said, we cannot more make illumination happen than we can make the sunrise. In response to this, his disciple said, then why pray at all? The priest's response was this, so that we will notice when the sun rises. A relationship with God is a gift from God. It does not happen because of any effort on our part. Our task in prayer then is to learn to approach God with open hands so that God can place his gifts, the ones he chooses, in those hands. We're generally caught up in a human condition of doing, of proving, having, showing, moving, winning, owning, and on and on. But we're called to a higher way, to have God at the center of our lives. The faulty assumption is that there is something we can do to fix that problem, to be our own savior of sorts, to be the prime mover, the one doing the fixing. Instead, consider this. Maybe it's our job to stay out of the way and let God do his thing. We need to stop doing and allow God to do the doing in us. I'd like to invite the ushers up to serve communion. And as we begin communion this morning, I'd like to approach it just a little bit differently. I'm going to begin with prayer taken from a song we used to sing a long, long time ago. Maybe it's a song you used to sing as well, but life has crowded out its words. I hope you'll listen to them anew this morning. And if they resonate with you, Make it your prayer, too. And after I'm done reading the words, come forward, receive the communion elements, but take them back to your seat this time. And before you place the cracker in your mouth, hold it for a moment. Ask God, what gift is it that he is giving you this morning? The gift of his choosing. And then receive it. And when you take the cup, pause. Ask God, God, what would you like to do in me 
this morning. Then signify your acceptance by receiving the juice, allowing it to enter your body and become a part of the very fabric of who you are. Let's pray together. This is my desire to honor you, Lord. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone in every breath that I take. Every moment I'm awake, Lord, have your way in me. You may come forward for communion when you're ready.
as we close this service, may the peace of God, the love of Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You can feel free to linger as long as you need to. Um, if God has spoken to you in a way that you need to process, please reach out to someone, to me, uh, to Wayne, a member of the leadership team, or to one another. Because sometimes processing things together helps us both grow. Bless you all.